if, uh, my name is Zach. I have the privilege of getting to be here on staff at Calvary Bible Church. Uh, we have a lot going on in this passage, so I'm going to hop right in. We have been working through this series of the book of Hebrews, looking at how Jesus is greater than anything else we might try to fill our lives with. We saw God spoke before in many times, in many ways, through prophets, through kings, through angels, and that was all good. But now we have this revelation, God speaking to people through Jesus, who offers us a great salvation. If you weren't here last week, we're going to do some recap kind of throughout, because this passage really builds off of what we've been talking about, especially in chapter 2. I mean, just look at the first uh, verse, the first three words of Hebrews chapter 3. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters... This ought to make us think of what we saw before, in part because, you know, that's what the word therefore means, but also because of that phrase, holy brothers and sisters. We saw last week that Jesus is the Son of God, and He descends to the earth. He descends to mankind to elevate us, to give us a greater status. Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. And so he comes as the Son of God to make us children of God. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, we are able to be called holy brothers and sisters of this Jesus. And as we look at this great salvation that he offers, when we look at this Jesus who descends to us to elevate us, as we look at this Son of God who has been made low for our benefit, offering us this great salvation, what other response is there than to accept it? As we look at this Jesus who came and suffered, who came and took the death that should have been ours, as we look at him who put an end to the fear, to the doom of death, what other response is there than to follow him? But things come up. Our focus gets shifted on other uh, things that occur in our life. There's difficulties that happen. There's, there's hardship. There's uh, times where the, the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, doesn't impact us in the way that it used to. We're, we're no longer affected as we were before by, by following after God. Well, what do we do in those moments? What do we do when this Jesus who offers us this great salvation, when we aren't as impacted as we were before. Well, that's, I think, the situation that our passage is talking about today out of, out of Hebrews 3. We do not have time to go through all of it. So I really want to focus and, and, and uh, kind of center our time around three verses in particular, uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. I think they summarize the, the thought and argument of chapter 3 as a whole of what do we do in those times like that. Let's read together uh, Hebrews 3, verse 12. It says this, it says, Take care, brothers and sisters, thanks for pointing that out, Amy, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. We're starting to come across a couple of these moments. We, there's these warnings that we've read and will continue to read throughout the book of Hebrews. And, and in particular, I want to focus on that word, lest. 
If we might have noticed it last week, or if we read through Hebrews 2 on our own, uh, chapter 1 starts with that word, take care of what you have heard, lest we fall away from it. Chapter 4, which we'll get to next week, starts in verse 1 again with uh, telling us how we are to act, to, to take care of how we act, lest we don't enter God's rest. And now we have a similar thing. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. We're, we're seeing these warning passages time and time again. And it's an obvious thing to say, but warning signs are there for a reason. You walk by a house that says, beware of dog, you would anticipate there being some sort of aggressive dog that might live there. If you're driving along a mountain road and you see falling rock, that should tell you that you should expect or shouldn't be unaware if something falls and hits your car. If you are walking into a restaurant and you see the health inspector has given it a D rating, maybe you don't want to eat there. But think about it even more so. Like it points to something being the case, but when you see it more often, it should really perk up our ears. It's not just walking into a restaurant that has a D rating. For some reason, the health inspector saw fit to coat the entire outside wall with D ratings throughout it. That should make us, there's something unique going on in this one. And we'll see if we eat there or not. I don't know, I still haven't decided yet. Uh, But we see all of these warning signs happening time and time again throughout the book of Hebrews. And it ought to make us think, what is going on with the original recipients of this letter? Why do they need to so be warned? What is going on in their lives that we continue to get these warning signs? We continue to get these last statements. And it, it could very well be like they were like the other churches in the New Testament where they were facing persecution, aggression, uh, a disc, a decrim, a, discrimination uh, about how they were following after Jesus. Maybe that was the case. They were facing hardship for following after Jesus. So there's these warnings. I know things are difficult, but Jesus is greater. So stick with him. It could be that. Or with how much of an emphasis there is on what was uh, the Old Testament systems with uh, systems within Judaism. Maybe there was a temptation to go back to what they knew before. Things and following after Jesus is hard to do. So let's just go back to what our lives were like before that. Whatever it was, there was a temptation. There was a hardship going on in the lives of these Christians that the author of Hebrews saw fit to continue time and time again to say, be warned. Continue to go after Jesus. Take care lest we fall away, we drift away, we don't enter into his rest, we have an evil, unbelieving heart. And whenever we see these warning statements, there's always that encouragement to look to Jesus, to fix your eyes to Jesus as our positive example as to why we are to follow after him. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 3, those first few verses says, uh, consider Jesus And it talks about how he is our example of faithfulness. Jesus was so incredibly faithful to God. He willingly went to the cross to die the death that should have been ours. He willingly lived for God in everything he did. He was perfect in every single way. He was our absolute example of faithfulness. 
And to show this, we also get this comparison with Moses, a figure of the Old Testament. And we might not think about Moses all that often, but Moses was amazing. Moses was such an incredible human being. Through Moses, God rescued his people from slavery. 400 years they were enslaved, and through one man, God rescued them all from that. Through Moses, God uh, led his people to a promised land where he could be their God and they could be his people. That's such a, a beautiful, intimate phrase that we see throughout the Old Testament, and it happens because of God working through Moses. Through Moses, he was able to provide food and water in the barrenness of a desert to God's people from God's empowerment. Moses was an amazing person. There was even this one time when, uh, while Moses was leading God's people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, and uh, there was opposition to Moses saying, ah, he could be doing better, or we we should be doing something else. Moses is doing a, a poor job leading us. And God himself speaks in defense of Moses. Imagine that scene in a courtroom. Uh, Witness for the accused, the creator of all things. Uh, That's a pretty strong uh, argument to be had. But we read about this in in the book of Numbers chapter 12. If you want to turn with me, you can. It'll be on the screen otherwise. So Numbers is uh, the fourth book that we have in our Bible. And in uh, Numbers chapter 12, we have God himself speaking, starting in verse 6. This is what it says. And he, this is God. And God said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? That is an incredible passage. That doesn't get said about anyone. Uh, Speaking mouth to mouth, we have the phrase face to face, uh, but it's, it's showing the personalness, the intimacy of that. It's not in riddles. It's not how God speaks to anyone else. He's speaking to Moses in a special, unique way. It's elevating Moses so highly. He's saying he is a faithful servant. Moses is so amazing. And if this isn't enough to show you why. Just ask any of our women who's in our, our uh, women's Bible studies as they are working through the book of Exodus together. As time and time again, they will get to see how incredible Moses is. I, I wasn't going to bring it up. We'll see if it works on you, and I might ditch it for second service. But it was listening, and, and it was pointed out to me, like, uh, you think of the city of Los Angeles, which to me is, is pretty close to home. I have a lot of, uh, of love for that city. Uh, for a lot of people, it's just the bastion of paganism and all that fun stuff. So think of that city and what you have within that city. There is a statue of Moses in the city of Los Angeles, in the courthouse, holding the Ten Commandments. This figure who has, uh, like, people aren't holding to the God of Moses, and yet they still know the value and impact of him that they erect a statue of him in a city like Los Angeles. If that doesn't show you the lasting impact of, of Moses, I don't know what will. And yet what we see in our passage, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than Moses. Look at uh, Hebrews 3 again. 
We'll read verse 3. It says, uh, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Skip to verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Does that sound familiar at all? It's the exact language that we just read in Numbers chapter 12, a passage showing the honor and status of Moses. And it's saying that here as well. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You, you following with the argument there? So it's not disparaging Moses in any way. It's saying Moses is amazing. He was faithful in all God's house as a servant. But Jesus is of higher status. Jesus is of worthy of more glory. Jesus is of more, uh, he is more of our example of faithfulness because he is the son. He's the son of God. Even Jesus himself, he's recorded as saying this in John 5, 46. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses wrote of me. So Moses was this incredible figure. He was so faithful to God. He's a tremendous example of faithfulness. And yet Jesus was greater So as we are struggling, as we're trying to figure out how do we follow this God, even in the midst of this world that is so chaotic, we fix our eyes to Jesus. We consider Jesus, who is faithful over all, greater even than Moses. He is our example of faithfulness. Look again at Hebrews uh, 3.12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. How do we avoid that? How do we address that as an issue? Well, it's first and foremost, we consider Jesus, who's worthy of more glory than Moses, who is our absolute example of faithfulness, of following and pursuing this God. But we also get with that a negative example. So we have the positive, consider Jesus, but we have throughout this passage a negative example as well with the telling or the retelling of the story of Israel in the wanderings, under Moses' leadership. And time and time again, they would do this. They would fall away from the living God. And so what we have in this is a warning to not be like Israel, who did not check their hearts and continue to fall away from him. And if you don't know the story, or we could all use the reminder of it, so God had rescued his people. They were slaves 400 years. God had rescued them. God was bringing them to a land that would be their own. That is a huge jump from slave to landowner uh, in, in, in an instant. And God was doing that for his people. God was guiding his people through the desert where everything looks the same. The desert's such an easy place to get lost. God was guiding them through a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, showing them every step they were to take. God provided for all of their needs while in the desert, and every step of the way, God's people tried to give up on him. They tried to fall away from him. This all culminates to when they were just on the outside of entering into this promised land that God was giving them, and they sent in spies to see what it was like, to see who was there, what was the quality of the land, all that. And the spies come back with a report, and the Israelites ask, oh, is the land as good as we were told? Oh, it's even better than we could have even imagined. Fantastic. Let's go and get this land that God has promised for us. One problem, there's some really powerful armies there. All is lost. We were better off as slaves. We might as well just curl up and die right here. Uh, it, it's, it, 
all the while, they're forgetting that God has been guiding them every step of the way, that God had rescued them from Egypt, the world superpower at the time, and you don't get to be a world superpower at this time with just having a real feeble army. They were the military super force as well. God rescued them from that army. Now they're going to this place that is nowhere near as fortified, and they're just like, ah, I mean, what's, what, what can we even do about it? What's the hope here? What we see throughout Israel is this warning that they moved from having, uh, the, having these doubts about God. That's not an issue. It's never a problem to have doubts about God. Then this turned to grumbling, these complaints uh, uh, about God. And again, that's not an issue. We are told we can bring our complaints to God. But the issue is when that develops into contempt, which we see in Israel, in the Israelites, then that can turn into a hardness of heart. And that will almost always turn into unbelief. And we see that with these Israelites. They were complaining. They had doubts. And when difficulty came, when there was an inconvenience, it turned to contempt, to hardness of hearts, and unbelief. And to show this in our passage, we have another quotation of the Old Testament. There is this quotation of Psalm 95. Now I get it. We've had a lot of passages today. I, I didn't even lead us in with a nice little funny story to get us started. Uh, and so I know there's been a lot of content, but I think it's really important that we spend some time on Psalm 95. For one, we have like four verses of it quoted in, in Hebrews 3. And then it's quoted again in Hebrews 3, and then again in Hebrews 3, and it's quoted throughout Hebrews 4. So it's kind of an important passage to spend some time on. So, so let's spend just a little bit or a lot of bit of time on Psalm 95. So this was written a few hundred years after uh, Israel was in the wilderness, after they uh, disobeyed, they had hard hearts they, uh, uh, towards God. And the leader of, of Israel at the time of writing Psalm 95 and the author of Psalm 95 is King David. And he is looking back at that time of history in the wilderness. He is looking back at their ancestors and saw their failure to follow after this God and is writing to tell the people, don't be like them. And this is what we get quoted in Hebrews chapter 3 from Psalm 95. Uh, this, is, this is what it says here. It says, therefore, this is verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And I, as I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest. And so what we see is that Israel hardened their hearts and they could not enter into God's rest. It's probably good if we define both those things. So hardening of hearts, we've talked about it before. It's coming from uh, the reason why Hebrews 3 is talking about it so much. It's rooted into that phrase that we saw quoted from Psalm 95. They always go astray in their hearts. So a hardening of hearts is a stubbornness to follow after God's instruction for us. It's, a, it's, a in, it's an unwillingness to believe the promises of God. Uh, it, it has this obstinance to it, this, uh, like I said, stubbornness, unwillingness. It is, it is thinking that God's promises are not good or worthy or uh, convenient or worthwhile. 
And because Israel took that position, because they went astray in their hearts, they were not able to enter into God's rest, specifically here into God's promised land. And so what is being written about in Psalm 95, what is being quoted about in Hebrews 3 is, do not be like them. The problem is, a lot of people are like them. At King David's time, when he's writing this, do not be like your ancestors. Sure enough, people were like their ancestors. And the generations that followed David got worse and worse as people fell away more and more from this God. So now we get to Hebrews 3, telling the early church, do not be like your ancestors or like their ancestors. And sure enough, people in the early church fell away from God. They saw the faithfulness of Jesus, and they still said no to that. Throughout church history, uh, writers, pastors, theologians have said, do not be like your ancestors who were like their ancestors, who were like their ancestors. And sure enough, People throughout church history have had it within them to harden their hearts against Jesus, to fall away from the living God. So we need this reminder there that we all have it in us to, to harden our hearts towards the promises and truth of Jesus. And as a reminder of that, we have a positive example. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus, who was faithful in all things. Now he's worthy and, and worthwhile and how he is worth more than anything else that we could try to fill our lives with. And then the negative example of that, do not be like your ancestors who saw God's faithfulness and fell away from it. So there's a warning in these passages that uh, verse 12 gets us to. But we are not without hope in that because there is also provided for us an antidote. We all have it in us to do this. So how do we war against that? Look at verse 13, Hebrews 3, verse 13. It says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do we ensure that we do not repeat the errors of the past? How do we not be like all those who have been around God and still found reason to be apart from God? How do we go against that? We exhort. We could also hear that as we encourage each other every day. And I really like how it's put together. Every day as long as it's called today. Again, this is taking it from the language of Psalm 95. It says, today if you hear his voice. And so it's saying, as long as it's called today, we are to encourage one another. Uh, I cut it out, but I think I'm still going to say it. Uh, Again, you guys are guinea pigs, so tell me if this doesn't work. Uh, I think today has two focuses with it. So we are to encourage one another today, as long as it's called today. This tells us the, the frequency and the duration of how we are to do it. So the frequency. Every day, we get to say, it's today. And so as long as it's called today, we are encouraging one another. We need to do it fresh each day because we have fresh temptations each day. So as long as it's called today, with that frequency, we are to encourage each other. And for the duration, like getting a reminder in the morning can almost always mean nothing to us at night. So we need to, as long as it's called today, continue to exhort, continue to encourage each other lest we fall away, lest we have an evil, uh, unbelieving heart within it. So encourage each other as long as it's called today. 
And we need to be doing this. We need to be sharing stories of God's faithfulness in our lives. We need to be reminding each other of how we have seen God work. We need to be pointing each other to the truths of who God is and what he's done. Often, as long as it's called today, we need to be doing this. We meet as a staff uh, for the, the Thornton campus uh, twice a month, every first and third Tuesday. And every, some, every single one of these staff meetings starts with this question, what have we seen God doing? Where in our lives, in the lives of Calvary Thornton, and Calvary as a whole, have we seen God at work? And we ask these questions not because we come with a lengthy list of shares, but because the opposite is more often true. We can easily miss the work, the work that God is doing. And so we need to remind each other that God is at work at this place, that God is still being faithful, that God is still uh, presenting the truths that are uh, always there of who he is and what he's done now, fresh to us. We need to be sharing that. And we don't have this time set aside because we're particularly holy but because we are particularly susceptible to not hearing these truths. So we as a staff want to be sharing these stories because we recognize that like Israel, we can be on that same path as well. We have doubts. We all do as a staff. We, we have uh, grumblings. We all do as a staff. But if those are left unchecked, if we are not focusing on the faithfulness of God, if we are not encouraging each other every day, that could easily turn into contempt, which can turn into hardness of hearts, which can turn into unbelief, as we see time and time again it does. So we want to be doing this as a church as well. Where do we see God being faithful? Where have we seen him working? And we want to get those stories in front of the church. We want to be encouraging each other with those stories of how we have seen God working. Not to, not to build ourselves uh, like we have done something great. No, no. We want to be reminded that God is great. We need to be reminded that he is. We need to encourage each other uh, every day with these things. It's why I'm so excited about uh, October 10th when we have the opportunity to have baptisms here. That is a time when we do this, when we encourage each other, when we see God has worked in this person's life, has rescued them, has presented them with the great salvation, and they are saved because of Jesus. And that encourages the church as a whole where we get to be reminded, where we might be struggling, but we come in and see someone baptized, someone rescued, and it strengthens us. I'm so excited about that. It's something that softens our heart, and man, do we need to have soft hearts. So there's that warning. Do not, or take care, lest we have in us an unbelieving evil heart. The antidote is to encourage each other every day as long as it's called today. And then verse 14 tells us the result of this. It says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. A couple different ways to read this. We'll talk about it when we get to chapter 6, but, but we'll just focus on it with one small part. Uh, you know what's really fun? grammar. So let's do some grammar together. Uh, so that phrase, for we have come, is that uh, past tense, present tense, future tense? We'll just stick with those three main ones for right now. But uh, which one of those do you think it is? 
It's past tense. Exactly right. We have come. This has been made true of us. So we have come to share in Christ. We have been called brothers and sisters by the Son of God. We have been elevated to the status of children of God. If indeed we prove this, that is, we prove this when we hold our confidence firm until the very end. So us persevering to the end doesn't prove that we uh, are sharing in Christ. No, no, no. Us sharing in Christ enables us to persevere until the very end. And so in this, this little passage, I, th- I think we have two things that are going on. There's, a, there's an encouragement for us and a charge for us. So the encouragement piece is like those who are clinging to Jesus will persevere. Think about what we read elsewhere in the Bible. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can snatch you out of God's hand. Here's the thing about eternal life. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Um, It's eternal. That means it doesn't end at some point. And that is offered to all who are in Jesus, but comes with it a charge as well, lest hear the word lest, lest we become comfortable. Always be working against what we see in our ancestors. Always be working against having this hardness of heart. Do not be like the Israelites. Do not be like all those saints who have seen God work and said no to that. Always be working to encourage each other. Always be taking status of the hardness of our hearts, lest we fall away from this God who has presented us, uh, himself to us. Always be working towards softening our hearts. So I want to end with, with us thinking about this in two different ways. Uh, where are we tempted to, to have hardened hearts? And then how can we work against that? So what is our temptation? Where might we uh, struggle in in adding some callousness to our hearts, to seeing who God is and what he's done and and, uh, resisting that? And and I want to take our examples from what we've seen in the text with the quotation of Psalm 95, with what we saw with Israel. Uh, What we saw with them is once there was difficulty in their lives, despite seeing all that God had done for them, despite seeing miracles, miracles that we get envious of at times, they saw all of that and they still developed towards unbelief in their lives when difficulty came. And then there was also the inconvenience piece. It wasn't as what they had before in their lives. There was this inconvenience factor as well that added some resistance in their lives as well. So we'll first focus on that difficulty piece. And we might struggle with this as well, with questions of how much pain am I expected to endure? How much am I supposed to suffer and struggle through? I don't see God actually working, so why stick with him? Well, we've talked throughout this entire time of how we've seen God's faithfulness in our life and maybe sitting there and wondering, like, have I actually seen God's faithfulness? It certainly doesn't feel like it. And in these times when we are suffering, when we're struggling, when there's difficulty in our lives, how long are we just supposed to put up with this? And the temptation is there to fall away from God because the pain seems stronger. Or the inconvenience piece in there. So uh, the, the 
Christianity doesn't have a, a preeminent, uh, predominant place in the culture uh, of our society. And so there, there are times when holding to the truths of the Bible puts us at odds with those that are around us, where just by being a Christian, people have assumptions about what you believe or, or how you think or how you think about them or, or your stance on certain topics. And right or wrong, nobody wants to be the bad guy. Or maybe you do, but that's a different issue for us to address in a different sermon. But no one wants to be known as hate-filled. No one wants to be known as being on the wrong side of history. No one wants to be known as a bigot. No one wants to see when you're mid-conversation with someone, their posture completely change in the conversation when they find out that you go to a church. And the more that we have to put up with it, and the more that that impacts us, the more that that's a struggle for us, how it inconveniences us, when we hold to that more than we hold to who God is and what he's done, like, of course our hearts get hard. Or there's also what we saw in verse 13. It says, uh, encourage one another as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is uh, when we go against God's good plan for our lives that's for our good and for his glory. And, and sin starts, uh, sin always ends up in the same spots. Though we think we know it's best, though we think no one else can speak into our lives other than us, when we think that uh, only we know what's good for us to do, we still end up in the same spot, which is hurting us and hurting those around us. No one starts off their day wondering, how can I completely destroy my life? No one starts off with, with a moment that just pops in their head and they aggressively pursue, in, in their right mind, aggressively pursue bringing hurt to themselves and hurt to other people. But because sin is so much more gentle than that at first. No one will know. You're stronger than other people. It won't impact you. You could stop at any time. It's really not that big of a deal. And then over time, we barely recognize ourselves anymore, let alone what we can justify and rationalize as doing that our younger self would look at and be horrified at. And instead, now there's a new deceit, and the gentleness is gone. You are too far gone. Nothing can fix you now. You might as well just keep at it. Could be any of these or other examples that we come across, and yet in each of these moments we see pursuing something takes a greater spot than pursuing God. As we get on that path with what starts as doubts, which we all have, we all have doubts about God or, or what God is doing. When we have grumbling which we all have. We all have thoughts about how things could be different. And this needs to be a place where we can freely share those things, doubts and grumblings and complaints. We need to be able to share those. We need to be willing to hear those and not scoff or, or wince away because the alternative is this. When those are left unchecked, it turns to contempt. The question is no longer, why God? It's not a question anymore. It becomes accusations and assumptions about why. And that very easily turns into a hard heart. And that very easily turns into unbelief. 
we all can be tempted to go down that path. Like what we see in Israel, like what we've seen in all those sense, we all can have that temptation. So how do we work against it? How do we help soften our hearts? Well, the first is remembering that the truth and promises of God are good. Sin tells us that they're not. Sin tells us that other things are more worth our time and effort and energy. But it's the reminder of who God is and what he's done is our ultimate good. Pastor Tom had this uh, great quote in our preacher's meeting this past Monday. He said, uh, the ability to persevere in the Christian life is proportional to our knowledge of who Jesus is. Let me make sure I got that right. Endurance in the Christian life is proportional to who Jesus is, uh, who we know Jesus to be. That was much better than what I said. The endurance in the Christian life is proportional to who we know Jesus to be. So our ability to follow after Jesus comes from us knowing what he has done for us. Our ability to live for God comes from us seeing first who God is and what he's done to show his love and care and compassion for us. I thought about when I was a kid, I was playing football. Uh, the league was called Junior All-American. It's kind of like a Pop Warner. So it's football leagues for those in uh, elementary and middle school. And we had this team this one year that, that we felt pretty confident about at the start of the year. Uh, but then we had some injuries and some obstacles to kind of get through. But, but then we won a game. And then we won another game. And then we won again. And, and after this time, there started to be something brewing. And, and that something was hope. What if we can make it to playoffs? What if we can win within playoffs? What if we can win the championship? What if we can go the whole year without losing a single game? And each week that we won, this started to grow more and more because we had this pattern of success, because we were able to see that, that things were being accomplished, that victory was to be had. It, it made us more hopeful. It, it helped us believe more for that future. And this is what we see in Jesus the more we see that pattern of him being faithful in our lives, the more we get to know of who he is and what he's done, this helps us to grow in strength and hope and belief that we can follow him, that he and he alone is worthy of our time and affections and honor and worship. And so we first need to look at the truths of who Jesus is to have hope for having a softened heart. But we cannot do this alone. We cannot uh, be expected to uh, remember the times that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, not to re-save ourselves, but to remind ourselves of the certainty of our salvation, to remember the certainty of the work of Jesus on the cross, to remember the completedness of that work, that we don't have to produce anything, that Jesus has paid it all. But it's hard to remember to do that when we are in a spiral of despair or hurt or pain, and we need people in our lives to help us to do that. That's in the passage. Encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today. We need people who can come alongside of us and, and see what is going on in our lives, to hear our doubts and our complaints, and to help us stop those then before they turn into something else, before they turn into hard hearts. 
We need people who can come alongside of us and care for us or remind us of the truths of who God is and what he's done. We need people who can ask you, how are you doing? And I don't mean like as a substitute for hello as you're passing each other in the hallway. I mean someone seated across from you, making eye contact, saying, how are you? And actually caring about the answer. Who is doing that for you? Who is doing this work of knowing you, of knowing your temptations, your trials, the, where you might be tempted to fall away from this God? And on the flip side, who do you know that well? Who do you know well enough to be a help and a support in their life? I thought about it with uh, like car maintenance, where sometimes you can open the hood and look into it and like clearly this piece is rusted or uh, we're missing a part right here. And those are easy solutions to do, but it's not always like that. More often it takes digging. More often it takes tests that we can do. And even the most simple tests that we can do is beneficial. We look at the dipstick. Is there less oil today than there was yesterday? That tells us that there is an issue. Is there no oil at all. That might explain where the smoke is coming from. We need people who know us well enough, well enough to know the tests that we need, who can come alongside of us, who can ask us and care for us in, in the same way. But for the love of God, do not call them a dipstick. <laughs> but where are you getting that? Where is that happening for you? Maybe it's in one of our groups. It's the aforementioned women's Bible study. It's the men's Bible studies. Or uh, you come on Wednesday nights and you have a middle school or a high school uh, small group that, that can be that support for you. Or maybe you're in a life group. Or maybe it's not even a group that we have here, but you have someone you get coffee with and you can do this with. But my encouragement is as you do so, to do it with Hebrews 3.13 in mind. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, the heart is a private place, but it becomes irreparably damaged if we keep it that way. And again, our ability to persevere in the Christian life is proportional to us knowing who Jesus is. That's why we spent all of last week talking, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for us. The greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen is done by Jesus for you. It's why, this it's why we have this entire series going through this, this book of Hebrews to see how is Jesus greater than anything else that we might try to fill our lives with. Because the temptation is to fill our lives with something else. So how can we be reminded that Jesus truly is greater than? So with that as the truth, with that as the ultimate truth, let's continue to come alongside of each other and ask them the simple question, how is your heart? Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for the example that you give to us. You are the example of faithfulness. Moses is amazing, and yet you are greater. So as we are tempted, whether by difficulty or inconvenience or sin, to try to fill our lives with anything else, we can first and foremost look to you as our example of faithfulness. And you also give us a negative example as well, to not be like our ancestors who got to see the greatest of your work and person on display and still said no to your promises.
let us come together with other Christians, other people you have placed in our lives who can know what our temptations are, our struggles, our signs of, of pulling different places, and they can help us point you, uh, us back to you. This doesn't mean there's not difficulty. It doesn't mean that there's not highs and lows of following after you, God, but it is that inside of that, the encouragement is to cling to you. And help us do that. Whether this clinging is a hug, an embrace, because we have been so struck by the love and affection you have shown us, or whether this hug is just clinging to you out of desperation, whipped by the world around us, you tell us you will persevere because of the work that you have already done. So it's to you and you alone that we pray to. Amen. stand with us. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Your heart and beat me in 
time of year for us at the church. We are launching all kinds of groups. The aforementioned men's and women's group, life groups are getting started uh, today and, and throughout this week. Uh, and one of the things that we uh, th- uh, think will be really cool about this is we also have a, an app that we are getting off the ground as well. Our database is connected to it. Uh, uh, how you've been checking your kids in is connected to this. This is a great way to be in the group. There's communication that we can do within the groups that we're part of here. Uh, I heard as Erie was getting this implemented for how they can get uh, kids checked in, that that kids were still being checked in 20-ish minutes into service. But you can check your kids in in advance, scan a barcode, and get them uh, in there before service actually starts, which sounds amazing, right? Not standing around for 20 minutes? That's fantastic. So I encourage you to download this app. It is how we do communication with our groups. You can see what events are coming up. We told you before, like, scan this for Mobile Bulletin. Mobile Bulletin is also on this. There's all kinds of, of cool features that are part of this app. We also are now doing our giving through this company. We were doing it with a different one before. So now we have everything coming from one system. So if you were a reoccurring online giver with the previous system, ask that you uh, switch over to this as well. Your old one will be stopped as soon as you switch over to this. This is really important because end of this month, Angie, Is that right, that we are asking people to switch over to this by? End of this month, switch over to this because we are losing the old database and that will go away. So these cards have been by the donuts and you've been neglecting them uh, for the last couple weeks. So I am telling you, please grab one of these cards. It's simple instructions of how to get them set up, uh, your account on this side, how to switch over to giving on the other side. I was able to sign up uh, onto the app in the three minutes that I was waiting for food to get delivered once. So It's really easy. The steps are really easy to get to do this. Please sign up for this. As you hear about these groups that we are offering at this launch time and you are still interested in joining, we can absolutely still get you involved. Uh, But either way, whether in groups now or will be in the future or attending this church, download the Church Center app. Let me pray for us as we go out this week. May know more and more of this great Jesus who offers to us a great salvation, who is how God reveals himself to his people. And as we are tempted and tried in many ways to fill our lives with anything else, may we know first and foremost that he is greater than anything else we might try to fill our lives with. As we come alongside others, let's encourage them as we need it. When we have doubts and grumblings, let us find encouragement from them as well. As we need each other, keep our hearts soft, is following after this great Jesus. So to him and him alone we pray. Amen. Have a good rest of your week.